You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt, director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. And welcome, everyone, to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt. And I would like to begin here today by calling out to the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those humans who lived well and died well. Those who met the challenges and injustices and the problems of their time in a good way. Those who harvested the bounty of their time and those who learned from all of it. I call out to those ancestors to be with us here today to help us, the living, to do the same to meet the challenges of our own time, to transform the injustices, and to be able to show up to receive the bounty in a way that is shared equally um, and with equanimity with all. So I call out to these ancestors to be with us here today to hold us well, that we might do what must be done for those who are coming. And let's reach beyond these human ancestors to those who've been here long before anyone ever dreamt up a human. Because these these energies in non-human form hold a form of wisdom that can often help us see through the um, particularly human messes that we tend to create with our power of innovation and creativity. So I call out to all of the ancestors in the other forms, the forms of natures, of plants, of animals, of stones, of great oceans, of weather, of all the many, many forms, all the way to the elemental energies. I call out to these ancestors to be with us, to help us to remember that which is true, that which abides, that which resonates with the real energies, and help us to not get lost in the distractions and the sparkly things and the powerful illusions of our time. Help us to learn to see real things with real eyes. And become the people that we were born to be. Help us to remember that we were born to be medicine in our time. And help us to not fall asleep before that medicine is made and given to the people. So I call out to all of these ancestors to gather around us here today. And as they gather, as they circle around, let us all call in our own energy. Drawing it from wherever it might be and focusing it for a moment in our mind. And then from our mind to our heart, and then from our heart to our belly. And then from our belly, let us reach down and touch the land, touch the earth itself, and take a moment to give gratitude for your life. Whatever the day holds for you, no matter even the trials and tribulations, let us give thanks for being alive. Let us give thanks for the deep, deep generosity and the dreaming of the earth that whatever it is that needs to be changed can be changed as long as we are still breathing. And we give gratitude to the diversity and the beauty and all that is all the abundance that is around us. And may we learn to live with it as part of it in a good way. And with our deep gratitude and awe and wonder for life itself, let's extend our energy down through all the layers of the earth. 
And as our energy reaches down and down and down into the very center of the earth, let us anchor ourselves firmly there. Let us settle our mind and our heart and our belly into this energy that draws its power from stillness, from silence, from darkness, from simply existing before there is even an awareness of potential or being or becoming. And let us rest in that energy and breathe deeply of it, drawing it in and up into our lives, into our day, drawing up the energy that renews and restores and nourishes us, that which replenishes, that which helps us to draw on a source that allows us to rise again in determination against that which feels impossible in our lives. We call this energy up. We call up this wisdom of manifestation and ask the energies of the earth to help us to continue to learn how to be here in form in a good way and how to be here in form in an even better way tomorrow. And as we draw this energy of the earth up, let us ground ourselves firmly down. Let us take our place in our body on this land at this time to know where we stand and what we stand for. And may we weave a life for ourselves that is woven out of that which has heart and meaning, that which has purpose, that which has value to us in our lives. And as we build our home of that, may we remember to open that house to those who are other than we are, that we will be challenged by ideas we have not yet thought and provoked to feel feelings we have been um, endeavoring not to feel so that we can grow into the men and women that we were truly born to be. So as we open our door to the other, let us open ourselves to the other that lives within, come into right relationship with all aspects of ourself, right relationship with others, with our environment, and with the invisible world. And as we come into right relationship with all these things, may we have a moment where we settle into the deep oneness of all things and take our right relationship with ourself from that oneness and from our place in that great fabric of life. And as we settle in, in a way that is interrelated and interconnected, let us begin to draw that earth energy up, up through all the aspects of ourself, up and out the top of our head and out through the sky and whatever weather it holds for you here in this day or night, out through the atmosphere and all the way out into the cosmos. Let, it, let your energy be caressed by the heavenly bodies and let yourself caress them back. As we reach for the highest power of the universe and by whatever way you know that energy, whatever name you call it, just reach out to it for it radiates on all of us equally. And let us draw down these radiant energies from above, drawing into ourselves and into our day the essence energy of blessing, drawing these blessings in, drawing in the energy of protection that we might stay focused on our day on our task, on our uniqueness. We call in the energy that helps us to commit and feel devoted. We call in the energy that is simply accepting and receiving the benevolence and the generosity of this universe. We call out the energies that light the way, that inspire and illuminate for us. And we call out the beneficence of that which is so much, so profoundly larger than we are. And we call these energies in, drawing them into our head, our heart, our belly, and sending them down to the center of the earth so that in this way, 
these two legendary lovers, the earth and sky, can come together in a great column of light between, uh, with us in the middle. This place, this meeting place of these two great lovers, and may that big love that is the nature of their relationship awaken the spirit of our own heart. And may our hearts then open that crucible of transformation that lives in each human heart. And may we call up the fiery passions of the belly that have brought into this life the understanding, the deep feelings for why you are here, and call down that crystal clarity of the mind that is looking out in the world and is creative and thinking and intuiting and being inspired in how to bring that gift into the world. We bring those energies together in the heart, let them dance together in a fiery and passionate dance. Until these energies give birth to that third and most essential thing, which is your own sense of your own authenticity, that heart memory, that inkling, that feeling in the heart that helps you to understand, ah, yes, this, this is why I am here. And may you find courage in that very same human heart to do something in this day, large or small, to bring those gifts into manifestation in the world. And for the countless, nameless, uh, vast realms of help that we have to do what it is that we've come here to do. I am deeply, deeply grateful. I want to give special thanks to the human beings that make Why Shamanism Now possible. I give thanks to Co-Creator Network and to Ken for all that he does to help to produce the shows. And I also give thanks to those of you, you listeners, who are um, offering financial support that helps to pay the bills to keep the show I'm out there in internet land, all of the archives, you know, as we move from 350 hours to 400 about how we might apply shamanism in our everyday life. So I give gratitude to Marcella, Patricia, Julie, Cynthia, Danera, Dan, Michael, and David, and all the listeners who've been able to donate to the show. If this show moves you in any way, even if it moves you to frustration, to irritation, as today's show might do, uh, know that you've been moved in your heart. And may you do that most shamanic of actions and allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world. And do something to help the show to grow. Um, talk about it. Bring it to your journey circles. Maybe you don't have a journey circle. Maybe you could learn to journey. Bring it into your practice. Share it with others. Start conversations about it. Comment on the Facebook page. Whatever it is, do something large or small to help the show to grow. And for all that you do, I am deeply grateful. Every um, cent that you offer to the show goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And in this way, we as a community of people make this information available to new people who find the show um, every day. And so thank you, everyone, for working with me um, to make Why Shamanism Now a reality. So today's uh, show is about racism and the double wounding and how we might bring shamanism to bear on this illness in our culture here in America, although we are certainly not alone in this manifestation. So um, I'd like to welcome my guest today, Langston Kahn. Welcome, Langston. Thank you. Oh, Langston, you sound fabulous. So, <laughs> so Langston is a shamanic practitioner who is specializing in emotional clearing and radical transformation. He is um, in New York, but he does do a lot of work online and at a distance. He stands firmly at the crossroads 
um, his practice informed by the Western modality of interrelationship focusing, initiations into traditions of the African diaspora, and the contemporary shamanic tradition of Last Mass Center, and um, the guidance of his own helping spirits and ancestors, weaving it all together. So Langston has um, studied and facilitated interrelationship focusing, um, and this is... Uh, deepened his own experience and um, ability to teach the clearing uh, that we uh, practice in Last Mass community. And um, he is also a leader within the community. So if you want to um, contact Langston, um, you can find him at occupy-your-heart.com occupyyourheart.com um, You can um, connect with him through the website or just email him at langston at occupy-your-heart.com. So we are live today, and if you have any questions about today's topic, you're welcome to call in at 512-772-1938 or Skype in from the co-creatornetwork.com site. Or you can always email me or email Langston at any time with questions about the show, since I know many of you aren't listening live. Um, all right. So as uh, regular listeners know, why shamanism now is a vehicle for talking about the practical application of shamanism in our contemporary lives. And um, many who find the show are new to shamanism. Uh, many are alone out there somewhere in the middle of somewhere um, on the earth. Um, finding this resource to have a kind of a solo practice in shamanism. And we're also honored to have listeners from all over the world. Um, and Today we gather to talk about shamanism via technology and um, my point is today's show is going to be kind of a deep exploration of a big illness and how we might use shamanism. It may seem like a lot for people that are just finding their way to shamanism but my strong feeling at this, at this phase of our juncture in incorporating shamanism into contemporary life is that we must begin to be the medicine for the illness of our time. It's not enough to just keep journeying uh, privately and in sometimes secretly in our own little monthly journey circles and just uh, doing soul retrievals, uh, but it's time to actually become the practitioners for our people. And um, here in the United States, that's a very diverse and varied bunch when we talk about our people. And so for me as a practitioner, I see racism as a cultural illness that is deeply, deeply in need of a remedy. And this particular issue in America is um, really on fire. And um, I'm wondering if shamanism, which allows us to engage directly in the wisdom of the heart and soul, can help us add dimension to this conversation and maybe find a kind of medicine or maybe medicines that have until now escaped us as a people in being able to um, craft. And so I'm using my privilege and power here to create a space uh, to explore what might be possible. And I've invited Langston to join me because um, he and I share a desire to bring shamanic remedies to this illness of our time. And he's not a white lady like me. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not just going to sit here and white splain for a while. Um, that would just be pathetic. So anyway, welcome, Langston, and thank you for for helping me here. Um, 
Langston and I have actually been talking about this for quite a while. Um, and we decided that we wanted to just start by covering some basics um, about the show. So first off, we're going to do two shows. And um, we're not really seeking to uh, have a one-size-fits-all answer. Um, we may not even find any answers at all. Um, I don't know, Langston, do you want to say anything to this? Um, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think this is really, uh, I would think, the beginning of a conversation, not just for us, but I think for, for all the, the listeners of why shamanism now to to if it isn't already to to bring um, this conversation into their consciousness and to invite people to start to use their shamanic tools to engage with it. So I don't think we're claiming to like know what the answer is or 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 know the truth about racism, but we're just doing our best to um, bring our shamanic tools to bear as best we can at this time on this conversation and share what we've begun to see as we've started doing that. So then the, the next thing that we decided is that we're not going to argue about what racism is or whether or not it exists. And mainly this is because I actually believe forcing people to do that is one of the ways the status quo system keeps change from happening. Cause, um, so Langston, do you have access to that wonderful Tony Morrison quote about this? I do. Um, the function, the very serious function of racism is distraction. It keeps you from doing your work. It keeps you explaining over and over again your reason for being. Somebody says you have no language, so you spend 20 years proving that you do. Somebody says your head isn't shaped properly, so you have scientists working on the fact that it is. Someone says you have no art, so you dredge that up. Somebody says you have no kingdom, so you dredge that up. None of that is necessary. There will always be one more thing. And so for that reason, we are, we are foraging ahead courageously, <laughs> simply accepting what appears obvious to many, which is racism is a thing that is systemic in our culture. Um, we're going to talk about how spirit keeps reminding us it's ancient. It wasn't invented in North America. It might have been perfected here, but it wasn't invented here. And um, we're going to go forward as if um, it's known, in a sense. Um, so we're also accepting the fact that as Americans, and, and Langston and I can kind of only speak for Americans since that's what we are. Um, but that as Americans, we carry internalized racism, just as we carry an internalized sexism and classism, because these are basically sort of the free cultural downloads that you get as the big cultural story that you're bathed in um, as a child raised in America. And, it, and it's, it's uh, sways, I think, in its emphasis regionally, but it's largely a coherent narrative. I don't know. What do you think about that, Langston? Um, yeah, I think that I, – I don't – well, I think in terms of the, the narrative of, of racism or unconscious racism, I think, yeah, we do, there, there does come a certain point um, where one has to reckon or wrestle with the fact that just the fact of being 
a contemporary person in uh, America, or really, I would say, in many Western um, countries around the world, there there is some inherent um, internalized racism that needs to be wrestled with and grappled with um, for some more than others. And I don't think that people of color are exempt from this either. I think we're actually perhaps more acutely aware of this fact. But the difference is oftentimes we're forced as people of color to grapple with this um, earlier um, than white presenting people, because if we don't, we commit suicide. (laughs) Yeah, and I think that there's a piece of this also if we bring in shamanism. Oh, sorry. Did I cut out? Uh, Yeah, I'm sort of cutting it out a little bit. So yeah, feel free to jump in if I I go blank. But um, basically just just saying that... uh, yeah, we have to wrestle with it earlier um, because because if we don't, it's really hard to, to live with that virulence directed against yourself. Um, yeah. It's maybe perhaps a little bit easier to live that way when that um, hatred is directed towards other people outside that yeah. people from you. <laughs> and I think that there's a piece that shamanism brings in here um, that uh, in, 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 in describing for us how to be good humans and how to live well on this earth, that we need to constantly, constantly be engaged in learning. And I think that, um, that humble, simple aspect of shamanic life, which is just to keep learning about your world and the people and the plants and the animals and everything with you in it, I believe is a piece of this conversation right here, which is to engage in this is about engaging in learning and what's going on in your world, your inner world and the world around you. And that if we're acting as if it isn't so, we're not engaged in learning about our reality of our time. So I I just think that, that shamanism a shamanic mindset brings in that um, constant openness to learning, even if what we're learning starts out being really profoundly uncomfortable. Um, so the next thing we talked about not spending too much time on, um, at least this is the way I look at it, because this this is an aspect of life that's never made sense to me because I started life as a scientist because I wanted my world to be explained to me. And in many ways, true science does explain the world as a very magical place. And true science and shamanism are, are um, not even kissing cousins. I, I mean, I think they're frankly lovers. But anyway, um, <laughs> but my point is this um, – if we look at science, this idea that if one drop of black blood makes someone black, then one drop of white blood makes someone white because it's science, people. <laughs> And it's DNA. And um, the, the frustration for me in all of this, in the misuse of science, the abuse of science, and the same as the misuse of, of people's religions, to justify something that is not justifiable, that is a complete false illusion. And so, so factually or scientifically, this whole argument of race at all fails. Um, especially given all this wonderful DNA stuff we can do now to track ourselves all the way back to the first people. I mean, the whole argument 
um, of race itself, and I don't mean to diminish the power in that argument, but the whole justification to um, oppress people just becomes ridiculous in the face of today's science. So, I don't know, maybe you see that differently, Langston. Um, Not the whole thing's always been totally confusing to me. Um, Yeah, no, no, I think that's those, those are those are great points. I mean, it's, yeah, it's it's it, the difficult thing I think about when talking about racism is that race is a construct that's you know invented to make one group of people seem better than another group of people simply because of those certain inherited characteristics of that other group of people deciding that that makes them inferior to you. Um, and so it's already like a, a false construct. But at the same time, because the story has gained so much power in our world, it you can't you can't say, oh, I don't see race. You know, that's a lie because right. there, because obviously there there is actual some actual difference, even if it doesn't then need to be woven into the story about race. And so, because we operate in a in a world where where some people identify as white and they've used that identification to discriminate against other people, then you have to sort of enter into this virulent story to work with it, which I think is part of one of the reasons it's so tricky to work with. And in many ways, very shamanic because here we see a a story that is, begins as an illusion because there's no, you know, factual reality in it. And yet you get the power of people and their belief behind it for a couple hundred years or more, (laughs) lots of years. And all of a sudden something that is absolutely vapor becomes reality mm-hmm. and deeply affects people's lives to the extent of creating damage to their soul. And, I mean, that's what make, to me, that's what makes this such a shamanic problem or challenge um, because it is entirely a manifestation of the principle that what we believe gains power and becomes real even when it has no factual basis. So it's, it's kind of unbelievable to me. Um, anyway, so, so the other thing that I think is important in the conversation, and I think, again, this is pretty well handled out in the everyday media world, but really understanding that there is a difference between equality and equity. And um, that that if we accept the the function systemic function of something like racism or sexism or in, you know any of these that we have to understand if we are someone who has rank and privilege and power in that system that we need to reach beyond equality to equity to to make up for where um systemic um damage for lack of a better word has been done so I don't know. I, it, it's 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 challenging, and I think obviously a quality of communi- of communication needs to happen that isn't exactly happening yet. Um, so anyway, what I keep getting reminded um, by spirit is that humans are a family that we are we are viewed from a spirit perspective as humanity. Period. So the um, wonder of groups of people doing fabulous things are owned by all of us, but so is the damage and the 
the um, evil acts by people are also in a sense owned by all of us and and mm. this has been challenging to see um, but I think one of the greatest pieces of education from the spirit world is really forcing me out of some um, identification in any group smaller than humanity <laughs> which is big it's hard I don't know do you have a sense uh, relative to that Langston um, yeah, I think it's a very valuable perspective. I think that, well, I, I, I mean, maybe this is a good time to share, uh, an experience I had. Um, I, I had, uh, been, you know, I, it was, it was a, one of the stupid Facebook drama to some extent where, where someone, uh, you know, it's, it's not even worth getting into the whole story, but, but essentially someone made a comment that was, um, extremely racist and I saw um, friends of mine who were white presenting um, sort of arguing intellectually with this person, but no one was just saying this is a racist statement that this person has made and this is not something we need to like argue with our minds intellectually. This is simply something that is not correct. It's not true. That's false. Um, and But in I was very triggered by the statement the person had made, so I responded strongly and... I realized afterwards, as I was, you know, doing some emotional clearing around the trigger that had come up in that moment, that what that person had said had made me feel like I was taking up too much space as a as a person of color, and it and it related back to this childhood experience of that um, growing up in largely upper middle class white suburbia um, as a person of color, and so then. So then I was thinking in all of this, okay, like now I've done the clearing, I no longer have the charge and the trigger, but I don't feel that I should have just been silent in this conversation. So how do we express um, anger or, or simply like, you know, speak up and stand up in the moment without further contributing to the separation that things like racism and sexism cause? Because in that moment that I was triggered and I felt separated through the clearing, I realized that then I tried to lash out and make that person that was white presenting feel separated. And that there was something in that that I knew didn't feel right. So I took that to um, the earth and an earth shrine that I was working with at the time. And then what the earth said to me was that when racist or sexist language or actions are directed towards you, you need to remember that these languages are inherently the language of disconnection. Um, that these kind of racist and sexist language or really any ism disconnects you from the earth itself. Um, and in that moment when you're disconnected from the earth, you kind of flail and lash out at people and you feel you don't belong. Um, you feel like your home has been taken away from you. So you lash out in panic and pain. And the earth said, you would not do this if you were connected to me. Um, so allowing yourself to be disconnected from me by this language is giving away your power in that moment. You seek to reclaim it by lashing out, but you only make yourself weaker. So, I mean, you know, to summarize the, the rest of it, basically what the earth was telling me to do was now take time to ground, to repair what has been severed, and then allow the earth to speak through me. So instead of voicing my petty personal hurt, even though it's, you know, 
valid that I was wounded by this person's racist statement, so to speak. It still was my personal small hurt rather than allowing the earth's anger at this disconnection from the earth to be voiced through me. And this is how the earth said you can voice anger while staying in love. So I don't know if that's a solution for everyone, but for, but for me, I feel like that, that conversation illuminated for me this sense of humanity that, that, again, it's like this trap of when in the moment of experiencing something like racism, you try to then separate the, the person by like referring to them as like, you know, I don't know, Draga, I, I think um, any way you try to further separate them from yourself, um, I think just serves to strengthen that story of racism in that moment. And so I think that's just part of the whole thing of like, we are all humanity meant to be connected to the earth and the earth's dreaming. And so it's, it's a sort of very insidious thing because these, these things like racism then cause us to feel separated and then in trying to regain our connection to separate others further in some ways. So I think I'm still figuring all that out, but, but, uh, that was definitely a wake-up call to me to step into that more humanity perspective, I think. And it's so hard for us. Um, I mean this, you know, as a human, it's so hard for us when we've been hurt to speak um, of, of our feelings because it feels even more vulnerable. You know, we've already been knocked down. It feels like we're, we're being even more vulnerable, but that's, you know, kind of that the key uh, piece around, for example, nonviolent communication is um, to be able to speak from that that uh, f- the feeling of that separation and naming it versus, like you said, versus responding out of the actual narrative uh, narrative of the of the personal dynamic, you know, and p- perpetuating the oh god like we see on facebook right the back and forth and back and forth but speaking from a different place yeah right? um so so do you have some favorite um <laughs> some personal favorites of just the everyday i mean you live in manhattan so mm-hmm. it, it it is in in some ways enormously diverse and in some ways enormously tolerant but also with all of those people there it's also an an opportunity for constant um problems too (laughs) but um i i don't know would you like to just share some of the the examples of the racism that we're really talking about i mean there's the overt ones are easy to see but it's not always overt Mm -hmm. yeah yeah um well, well, first of all, I should say I live in Brooklyn, actually, but I spend much time in Manhattan. Um, and I think that, uh, I don't know, there's so many examples, and, and it's hard to think of, like, which ones would be best right now. But I think in terms of, like, things that you don't necessarily think about when you're white presenting, it's like, for example, just going to the grocery store can be extremely stressful um, with this, this actually, you know, happens to my partner somewhat more than me but but like just people starting to randomly follow you around the store as you're shopping um and you don't want to you don't want to call it out because you feel paranoid like oh is this person really following me am i just sensitive because it's happened in the past but then you know nine times out of ten we end up having to actually go up to the person 
and the person says, oh, you look like someone who stole something in our store or something like, oh, really? I looked like something. <laughs> <laughs> So things like that, I think are just people forget like the this one popular term for, for experiences like that are like sort of microaggressions, like these these constant cuts throughout your day of being reminded again and again that simply because of certain characteristics of how you look, the, the color of your skin, the, 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 uh, how, how big you are, you know, these cause other people to instantly see you as less than them criminal and dangerous um and and it's just very stressful uh and i think that there's also uh, i mean in terms of other other examples i i think it can also be things as simple as um you know having the same opinion and i know this is something you know women experience very frequently as well having the same giving the same opinion that a white presenting person is giving and being perceived as as being loud or angry or dangerous or violent when you're giving voice to that opinion and people acting you know to you accordingly with that um or you know just just things that people not being able to really see you as a full person only being able to engage with you as a stereotype um I've experienced before as well. Um, and I think th- these are all like the small daily experiences. I mean, of course, also, I think everyone's seeing right now the, you know, increased rate of um, police violence towards unarmed black men, the killing of unarmed black men, um, the, the, you know, fact that schools right now, public schools are more segregated than they were in the 1950s. Um, and so there's a lot, there's a lot going on. <laughs> Uh, in terms of experiences of racism, but um, yeah, I don't know. Is that, is that helpful? I, I guess I. Yeah, and I'm thinking, you know, so think about, you know, what is it? What would it be like to be a mother and truly, legitimately worry every day that your child will be shot? A legitimate daily concern added to all of your ordinary concerns as a parent. Or, um, or just to be a person in this culture going through life, blah, 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 and know that the justice system will, doesn't have your back. To just know that as, as an everyday fact of life. And, you know, you think about things that other people take, other, you know, people take completely for granted. And these are, these are really, really systemic, stressful, everyday concerns added to lives that most of us are pretty maxed out and stressed out already. So, I mean, it's, it's a lot. So, we're, so, so Lisa and I have probably bitten off something today that's bigger than we can chew, but we're going to try to chew it anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> I don't know. Um, because we have to. I mean, come on. We have to. This is just um, – okay. So moving on. So – And actually, I, w- I would like okay, to say one more ahead. thing about that. I sure. think just in the context of shamanism and spiritual practitioners, who I think are many of the audience members of why shamanism now as well, I think it's also really important to just think about how you respond to clients of color um, because – like there's this incredible book um, by uh, 
this um, poet and writer, uh, Claudia Rankin, um, where, where she really goes in depth into a lot of these types of experiences. But um, she recounts an experience where she goes to her therapist, who, to a new therapist who specializes in helping to heal trauma because she's wanting to really examine and look at some of the trauma of racism uh, that, that racism has caused in her life. And what happens is when she gets the door of the therapist, the therapist screams like, what are you doing in my yard? Get away from here. And then Claudia says, oh, well, I have an appointment. And then the therapist apologizes. But it's just like, I, I think what, one, another motivation or reason for um, doing this type of work, really honestly looking at our own internalized racism, because no one wants to think of themselves as a racist. But if you're willing to look at your internalized racism and racist behavior, it, it helps you to avoid being in those very compromising situations where you're really forced to recognize, reckon with the, the, the aspects of you that are in fear and so not enable, able to engage with other human beings as human beings. So an example of this that comes up for me is always is in the cycle, you know, because here is four years of teaching people to deal with things that are uncomfortable. I mean, there's like nothing comfortable about the cycle for four years, right? I'm asking everybody to be uncomfortable. And yet with, um, you know, African-American people that are in the cycle, they're, they're already coming in uncomfortable, validly, you know, coming in uncomfortable. And so then we get to this position where, you know, is your shadow issue a human issue or is it an issue caused by racism? And does does the fact that it's caused by racism give you the right to 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 not to sort of bypass the actual shadow piece and the precarious position that puts me in as a white woman telling a black woman you actually have to deal with this as shadow as your shadow you can't pass it off and I don't can I even say that you know it's very very hard. And yet, if we can't become the people who can grapple with these hard places, we're going to fail. I mean, we already are failing in a lot of ways. So, you know, it's like we don't have a choice but, the you know, to deal with these pokey sticks. You know, we don't have a choice. So I have this idea, and Langston's kind of chewing on it. I'm not sure how, how – this is our hypothesis, my hypothesis at least, that – the wound of racism is twofold. That for me, I see it as I work with my clients, that it's an arrow with poison. And the arrow is often familiar to other people who may not, you know, not identify as being of color. But the poison is unique to being someone of color. That's, that's, kind of how I see it as I work with clients. And what I mean by that is that the arrow is cultural. The wound, the original wound is cultural and it's a wound of the mind and it's it's an event or something that comes in and shuts a person down in some way. And um, that uh, it affects our relationship with the world. But the poison is like the arrow brings it in and we may pull the arrow out and actually manage to heal that wound in being told I'm, you know, too big 
and then I do my my healing work to decide that I'm exactly the right size I need to be and nobody gets to tell me that I'm too big but that the poison piece is the part that gets in where I if I was a a black woman let's say I might do that work that no one gets to tell me I'm too big but the poison piece is because I look around me and I see very very few reflections of what I'm trying to be in the world I I then take that poison in personally and it begins to wound my heart I begin to say well maybe I am too big you know I I begin to take it on myself so I don't know I don't think I described that very well but I think that that's the piece that people people often miss is that there is this shared wounding that many children experience but there's this added poison that comes in when it's coming in in this constant repetition through the message that we're receiving about ourselves where we start to doubt ourselves because of the racial piece i don't know i'm not saying that very well langston um well I mean, what, one other aspect that came forward for me in my journeys around this idea was this this idea that one of my helping sources showed me of the wound in between the Shen and the Ling. So um, there's a bunch of podcasts about Shen and the Ling, but essentially the, the Shen is this sort of outer facet of the heart um, that carries your expression out into the world, you know, kind of really in a large part like the, the, the persona of ourselves that we're expressing on Facebook or in digital media or an email, you know, just this like this expression of ourselves into the world. But then the Ling is this. Um, and of course, you could explain it better than me, Christina, but essentially it's this like quiet um, spirit of the heart that that you you meet and find in silence and solitude, that deep yin space of reflection and and um, and time alone, really. Uh and or an intimacy and so the the shen is meant to be bringing back how the world get basically getting its marching orders from the ling expressing that out into the world and then bringing it back to the ling into conversations the ling can understand how its deep musings that it wanted to bring out into the world were responded to and then change its thinking and its feelings accordingly um as it works to craft its next message or its next vision um and so one of the damages my helping search was showing me of racism is it sort of creates separation between the Shen and the Ling and because the Shen's experiences and reflections that it's getting back, like you were talking about a lack of mirrors and reflections, it gets are distorted by racism. So the Shen isn't really bringing back accurate information to the Ling, so then the Ling can't accurately plan what it wants to express next. So it's like there's this sort of division that's created internally that leads to either people have feeling the need to create carefully calculated masks and performances like cool pose or, um, you know, just, just have just feeling paralyzed or, or overwhelmed. Um, and there's this, because of that there's also a lack of trust. Like I, I see again and again in people shadow processes, there's a time when you really can't trust your own perceptions and what you're seeing and that what feels really true to you. And you have to lean into the reflections of those around you um, that you trust. And because of this dynamic from racism, I think it's often harder for people of color to find a place where they, where they can trust in that way and be vulnerable enough to 
um, find the reflections outside of them, especially if they're cut off from other people of color in their life, which often happens. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the important thing about this is that the Shen's experience is real and false. And that is really confusing to our own internal ability to sort out the truth and trust ourselves. Because, the, you know, the, the Shen's having a real experience out there, but the real experience is being manufactured out of this illusory um, falseness. Whereas the Ling is, you know, this deep, intimate soul relationship that's tracking the real energies, you know, the, the energies under the culture. And so the Ling and the Shen start totally confusing each other. <laughs> right, you know? mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And then, and it, it's a good point though because there there is that place you know we do all this work to um present ourselves honestly in the world and not care about every um how that affects everybody else to get out of this sort of codependent addictive behavior but then there does come this place of needing to actually believe in the reflection of trusted people more than our own reflection of ourself because our sense of ourself is um, too small. And I feel like that's where the need for true shamanic community comes in or the real unique genius of true shamanic community in hopefully cultivating a space where that trust can happen even when you have been wounded in this way. Um, okay. And I think that's and, something we're still figuring out as a community if we can really create. But um, and it, there's it feels a piece of yeah, because there's a piece of you know real shamanic community versus another community gathered around some other you know set of beliefs, which is that we are all challenged equally in the community to listen to spirit and to share th- this sort of practical expression from spirit and. So it challenges, I mean, my experience of spirit through shamanic means in my life is it literally challenges me to be a better person constantly. It's not like I just pray and maybe I get help, but I'm getting in the face, you are not showing up here, Christina. This is what you need to do, <laughs> right? You know? So I'm getting a direct challenge to be a better person and the path to do that and then when I feel that path is too challenging to walk by myself often because I'm clueless and don't know how to do it there are others around me in the community who may have walked something similar or who can at least work with shared skills that I also understand to help me figure out how to do that so to me that's what I've experienced in at least our shamanic community that I haven't experienced in any other religious, political or other shamanic communities. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, so what are the qualities of shamanic community? You know, when you say, you know, maybe it's this kind of shamanic community that can help us. Is there anything else that you think is characteristic when you're saying that that's characteristic of that community or that type of community? Well, I think one is like, like sort of like you've already been saying this, this, that our whole community, at least our community, I think most, you know, shamanic communities are really built on cultivating an ability to stand in discomfort because, um, 
shamanism is so intrinsically about that steady diet of sacrifice for lack of a better you know phrase like this this knowledge that your job here is to become you know to bring the expression of your soul's purpose and to do that you're going to need to let continually let die pieces of yourself that are not in alignment with that purpose or that simply are no longer serving the fullest expression of your purpose that you could be bringing to the world right now. And that process is uncomfortable. And so I think shamanic community cultivates perhaps more than other spiritual communities in some ways um, because your power literally comes from this willingness to stand in discomfort in this community and, and your ability to move through that discomfort and discern what the spirit helping spirits are teaching you and interpret them accurately to take new actions and tell new stories in your life, you're, you're more able, perhaps, to approach something like racism or acknowledging racism within yourself that is so inherently uncomfortable as a, an invitation to step into a deeper aspect of yourself and, and more of your power rather than something that's derailing the plans you had for the day or, you know, your, your life. <laughs> um, so, so yeah, I think for me, that's, that's what it is. Um, and, and also the, the fact, I think that our community perhaps somewhat uniquely is led by council. I think that helps as well in the sense that it's not like one leader you're having to grapple with necessarily, but multiple groups of leaders throughout the community that are having to grapple with these issues together. Um, so I think that that also lends more potential for a diversity of perspectives and a bigger container that can hold these types of conversations and a stronger container. You know, and this, what you're saying, Langston, is making me think of another part. I've never quite seen it this way, but um, the way in which if we continue to engage in these conversations via the mind alone and the psychology alone, we stay in the stories of separation. Mm-hmm. But, but shamanic skills give us the ability to also engage through the heart directly. Um, for example, in a, in a conjure dance, for example, mm-hmm. uh, um, and, and other ritual work together. And, um, they, and through the embodiment piece, um, embodying helping spirits, embodying different things, it also gives us the opportunity to work directly through the wisdom of the body. And this um, ability to work in um, relatable wisdom together that is not being filtered through the mind and the stories, I think it connects us more quickly to other options, other ways of knowing and seeing and even potentially opening paths paths forward that we wouldn't get to necessarily through the mind alone. And um, for me, this, this is another piece that for me obviously excites me about shamanism because it means I might actually be able to accomplish something before I die. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because we don't have to just keep talking about it, mm-hmm. um, but we can actually get at other ways of knowing it that might open a path forward. I know for me in my own life that the big leaps and paths forward haven't been intellectual um, jumps. They've been heart jumps and uh, body jumps that my mind had to figure out later and then was like uh, – and then was marveling at the miracle of all of it. 
I mean, it, it is profoundly sophisticated intellectually, but so much so that I actually can't understand it until after it's done. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I don't know. But anyway, part of it is, you know, if we look at racism as the, the manifestation through the power of belief of a story that is false, then staying trapped in the stories isn't going to help us. And the mind has a tendency to keep running through stories and illusions and delusions. And, you know, I mean, it's a tricky place, as you said. Like, don't go there alone. <laughs> okay. So there's a couple other, you know, we're, we're running out of time. So I think obviously thinking we could do this in two shows was naive. Um, <laughs> but there's a couple other uh important points that we get from spirit about human beings grappling contemporary human beings grappling with all of our skills including shamanism with racism that i think are important and one is really the deep understanding um that this idea that you're somehow inherently different because of the color of your skin um is as we've said before, we, we didn't use the words yet, though, is it intersects with this systematic sorting of rank privilege, and, rank, privilege, and power. And these are the things that affect us. And it's important to um, recognize uh, rank, privilege, and power, especially when you're the ones who have it. Um, and and that, that's another piece of consciously choosing to wake up and notice – in this situation, what is my rank, privilege, and power? In this different situation, in a different environment with different people, now what is my rank, privilege, and power? And how does it change and flow throughout the day? Um, and, and to acknowledge the, the reality of that. Um, and, and I think part of the challenge of feeling that you're someone who doesn't have the rank, privilege, and power is the frustration of people who do have it because the system's given it to them. But because of their own woundedness, they won't pick it up. They won't use it. So there's, there's a lot of frustration around that, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, so, ev- so, so raising our awareness around that is important if we want to participate in being a solution. Um, then also we've we've danced around this, but we haven't said it directly, um, really directly, which is these these um, stories that we engage in collectively that sort us out into different groups. I mean, I always think of Dr. Seuss's star-bellied sneeches. <laughs> you know, I mean, really, I mean, that, that seems to me that was the point of that children's book. But anyway, these stories that sort us into groups and then imply or say explicitly some groups have more this than others and so these are better and these are worse and that all of that all of those stories of separations are subset versions of the big lie of separation Mm -hmm. that we are all fundamentally separate from god and for me this is the big problem in most people's religious expression in their life is that they're still playing into this idea that they're separate from god and for me, the value in shamanism as the root of my spiritual practice is it says you are not only not separate from God, but you can't be. That that we are all one here. And um, so all the stories that you carry that are just more and more detailed versions of your separation from the oneness 
are all lies because they are all built on this fundamental lie of separation. And that work alone, um, you know, changes all of this because you realize all of these stories are just more of the same story. That is fundamentally a lie. And that lie damages us so deeply to believe that we are fundamentally flawed, damages us. And the problem with racism is it is it's like a double whammy. It's like um, it's like doing a healing where you, it's your own past life and you're your own ancestor. So it's got mm-hmm. the double whammy of a past life healing and an ancestral healing and it hits you like a Mack truck. And so in this lie of separation, so we have the first lie that I'm separate from God and then the second lie that I'm, I'm separate from all the good people because of the color of my skin. It's a double whammy of this lie of separation and it's profoundly debilitating and heartbreaking. Um, and, uh, you know, so that's a piece of what we're grappling with here. Um, and then I, I have to share your piece from Crazy Woman, though, because I love it. She says, you know, that actually we have to remember that racism is a very old story. <laughs> it ties into one of the oldest and most boring human stories, um, you know, that we're separate from the rest of creation. I mean, and, and you don't have to remember that human beings have been enslaving other groups of human beings for a really long time. It's deeply embedded in what is unresolved in our shared ancestral stories uh, and, and literal energy that is sitting around influencing and giving weight to the, the current manifestation of racism, which is based on the idea that some other group of people is um, so fundamentally less good than you are that they you know, can be your slave. Mm-hmm. You know, like ah. yeah. And I th- it was interesting to me that what what Crazy Woman showed me in that journey was that the root of this, at least in that in what she was showing me, was this fear of being inadequate and not good enough, fear of not having enough resources, fear of what would happen to humans if they had to follow the rules everyone else did for living in right relationship. So it's like all of this fear is leading to that lie of separation, like. Of course we're separate because if we weren't separate, then we'd have to do what everyone else is doing, and that's too hard. And like, you know, it's like, it's, <laughs> uh, but who knows what was going on at that time? But but it was interesting to me to look at that in parallel with the rise of racism in the United States too, and in and how so much of the United States is built literally on the back of um, slaves and and the necessity of slaves for the economy at that time. Yeah. Um, or at least in their perspective. And just this, again, coming out of this place of fear of not having enough or fear of needing to do what other people are doing or face hardship. And yeah. and so needing to fly separation to be even more refined and sharpened. Speaking of running out of resources, we've run out of time. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> we're going to pause here. And Langston and I are going to continue um, this conversation in next week's show. So very quickly, because we are a little bit over time. Langston, thank you. Thank you. And I give thanks to our ancestors for gathering around us here today, helping us sort through this. I give thanks to the earth below for its um, patience and the sky above for its inspiration and for the heart that truly does unite us all as a human family. Thank you, everyone, for listening.